Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. I am Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. You can read me, and you'd better, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And today I'm going to drone on by telling you about a dinner I had this week. John Katsimatidis, who owns this station, had a dinner for Senator Lindsey Graham. And I want to tell you all about it. Katsimatidis always does another dinner. This one was for Lindsey Graham. John probably catered the Last Supper. There's not a night he doesn't do a dinner for somebody. South Carolina's senator said, collusion, these are his exact quotes, collusion exists in America. They will do anything to destroy Trump. We are now a country that requires people who know what they're doing. Washington is now passing laws where nobody there knows what they're doing. These are direct quotes from the senator. He continued on, We exist with a confluence of people who just lie. Plus, we now have artificial intelligence, and we've got to stop that, and we have got to stop social media. Social media is now bullying us. What we have is to beat their ass. His words, not mine, even though I know what the word ass means. He told us that James Comey, the former FBI director, now even has a movie made about himself. His quote was, We have to keep the FBI out of the coming election. They have already been into it in two elections. Over something that they fed us called rigatoni pomodoro, Larry Kudlow ran the evening. He was better than the rigatoni pomodoro. Maybe 40 people were at this dinner. Then, out of the senator's southern mouth came, quote, Trump scares the bleep, B-L-E-E-P, out of people. Only he used the actual word and we were all at dinner. He said, those Hillary emails, all of this bull bleep that she gave us about Russia, what she did was illegal. I'm continuing on with what the senator said. I, he said, am worried about taking back the House. And our way of handling China is complete horse bleep. That was his word for word for word, only he didn't bleep the horse bleep word. And we were having our dinner at the time. He also referred to our need to help Israel. It never, ever came out of his mouth as Israel, always Israel. An exact quote which I wrote down to report to you was, 
and I quote him exactly, his precise words. So somebody tell me, who is even running the White House? I know it ain't him. Over our second course of dinner, the senator said, one guy who can fix this immigration system is Donald Trump. He has the best political capital since Ronald Reagan. Look, he's bad, but inside he's really good. This man can do things nobody else can do. Also, his quote, Venezuela, once the richest country in the world, they, like us, are now under attack. Make no mistake. We are under attack. And then he said, Biden, nicest guy in the world. But who he is today, we don't even know. He's just now a bunch of, again, bull bleep. And he didn't make nice out of the word bleep. Then Katsimatidis came in and he said, over 100,000 Americans have been killed in the last three months. Our universities are under attack. Our education system is under attack. Our AM radio is under attack. 50% of our hotel rooms are under attack. Listen, let them just stick migrants in Rikers. And our abortion, also under attack. Women of color are now screwed, and so, he said, are we. All of us sat at one long banquet table. The restaurant was called Cucina at 9 West 57th. In between courses, Katsimatidis plugged his new book, which is titled, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. He said, read it and you can make a million bucks. Read it twice, you can make two million. I finally left at 9 p.m. The evening is probably still rambling on. As I left, the senator said, Good news for us, at least, is we have Hunter Biden, a man who has even more collusion than children. Okay, enough with Lindsey Graham. We are now going to go on to other things. Chris Christie, he said about Chris Christie, just in the post, he was called a loser. He called Donald Trump a loser. This is now something I want to tell you. I don't care what Chris Christie says or does. I don't care whether you like Donald Trump or not. But for Chris Christie to call Donald a loser... Let me tell you about the night Donald won. It was 9.30ish, 10 p.m., as his votes piled up. I stood with Donald in his office, just the two of us side by side. His family and his staff were long behind him. It was just him standing in the middle of the room, nobody close to the two of us. We were staring at wall TVs. Off, alone, Christie was applauding, screaming how Donald is a winner. 
Well, now all of a sudden, he's not calling Donald a winner. Listen to me, kids. Hell hath no fury like an unemployed Paul who needs attention. Another, another politician. Senator Chris Coons, C-O-O-N-S. He comes from Hyden Biden's financially helpful soil, Delaware. And he spat this bird poop. I heard him say it. Quote, he said, I never saw anyone with more energy than Biden. He loves to know and accomplish things. Yeah, right. Just like Congress's new creep, George Santos, Coons is a loon. America, are we great or not? We got a nonsense senator. We got a nonsense congressman. And let's not talk about who's in the White House. Today's world. A typical American feuds with his neighbors, argues with his employees, dislikes his landlord, trashes his politicians, disagrees with minorities, yells at his family, and parades for peace. Listen, maybe every country in the world is going nuts. Take Great Britain and its new kinglet. Following his mother's passing, this new kinglet, who only yearned to exist inside his divorced mistress's vagina, he and she deserve such pomp and poop? How about divvying those trillions of pounds it cost for horses, uniforms, sabers, crowns, ermine, rehearsals, music, nations and persons of need could use it. How about then shipping that fur to a used fur shop? Let's talk about the royals. Princess Anne, she last smiled when she was in the womb. Others wrestled divorce. One maybe diddled a young'un. Harry, dressed as a Nazi, then married what could be a temp. And this king thing is ruling with his ex-playmate? Okay, more. I want to talk about New York now. I'm just on a roll. I want to knock everything. You want to buy me a mama a trinket? Here is the new Tiffany. I went. Outside stand more guards than in Guantanamo. They're all wearing black. Before you enter, they ask you, have you an appointment? An appointment? To maybe try on a silver bracelet? Looking to browse? Another black-dressed creature appeared at my side. Her phone dictated where exactly she would walk me to locate exactly what I want. In other words, if I want to browse... I can go to Cartier. In Tiffany, you go, you buy, you get the hell out. Pay heed. LVMH already owns 57th and 5th's three corners with Vuitton, 
Tiffany Bulgari. Watch Bergdorf's. Soon we will need an armed LVMH security guard permission to cross that street. Okay. Ah, onwards. Summer's coming. I have to be nice. I have to be happy. It's parties. It's lazing, lolling, sipping. It's tequila, tangeray, Tom Collins. So how do celebrities knock off? Well, for a day or two, their self-control is weekdays. John Legend said, I can't overdo it. Sometimes it has negative effects on my body, including my sleep. Gwyneth Paltrow said, During COVID, I ate whatever and drank alcohol seven nights a week. It was interesting, also wild. Bella Hadid, I'm a glass of champagne and head home kind of girl. Clooney, my Aunt Rosemary's Clooney was, Never mix grain and grape. Wine and tequila, or vodka with champagne. I was seven when she told me that. Hey, we learned early in Kentucky. June is coming. Weddings are coming, says the wedding planner, Michelle Rago. It's a destination ceremony now. You rent planes. You hit the Caribbean. You forget 60 people. Now it's 350 invitees. I was brought in for Brooklyn Beckham's just four weeks before. And listen, mothers-in-law don't always win a trophy. Today it's like a scavenger hunt. Extravagant requests. One couple wanted helicopters to fly guests to some island. Another, you ready, burned all the orchids. Things go wrong, like no alcohol arrived at one event. I had to charter an airplane to bring champagne, then go through hell to clear customs and get it in. One lighting company was to hang 30,000 candles from the ceiling. Yeah, well, they didn't arrive. The groom's father, who was in charge of that, went nuts. Another ceremony was outdoors and having just had surgery, one of the people, like the bride, couldn't be in the sun altogether. So I asked him, You married? He said, No, divorced. I remember at my own wedding, I drove everyone insane. Okay, do I have time to say any more? I'm going on. I, okay, I, I want to tell you about more stuff. I, I, I just, I'm in the mood. You can shut me off if you want to, but I'll kill you if you do. With our White House election upon us, President Ike is returning June 20th at the Theater at St. Clemens. It's an off-Broadway house. The play Eisenhower, This Piece of Ground, that's the title, opens a seven-week off-Broadway run. And a guy called John Rubenstein our original Pippin from 50 years ago, plays President Dwight David. The scene is set in 1962, fictional eavesdropping at his Gettysburg farm. Remembering his Kansas upbringing, army career, World War II victories, it is our wonderful Eisenhower who 
talks about what it was like, but he never mentions his long-time non-military advance on his good-looking lady driver. This I know for a fact. There's a substack writer called James Fregile. He says there's been thousands of storefront arrests, robberies. Why don't we post Polaroids right on the store's walls of these shoplifters? Splashing pictures of those caught red-handed might give the next generation of thieves some thought. And now, one more thought before I leave you to go into a station break. Joe Biden, he knew Heinz when they only had three varieties. His fridge has a milk carton that mentions missing children with a photo of the Lindbergh baby. I'll be back in a minute. We're doing a station break. Don't go away. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am about to speak with a very good-looking gentleman. He is the marijuana yutz. He calls himself a mogul. But he is the number one guy when it comes to rolling a joint. His name is Josh Kesselman. And hopefully, unlike his rolling papers, this interview will not go up in smoke. Please, I'm sorry for the joke. Don't hang up on me. I'll get better. He is the king of the rolling paper used in marijuana. I mean, I can't believe that I was invited to dinner to meet this very charming, really handsome man. I thought we were just going to have dinner together. Did I know he was the king of this? All the stuff I hate and despise, and he's so good-looking and so nice. Can you tell me, you were born in New York. How did you get into this nonsense? (laughs) (laughs) It was a passion of mine because my dad used to do magic tricks with his rolling paper. So I, I fell in love with rolling papers at a very young age, and I became a collector. And it was just something that, I, that I'm extremely was enamored with and still am. Are you or were you ever a stoner or a hophead or whatever they call it? <laughs> Cindy, I, yes, of course. It's me. And it, it, you can't really, if you have a passion for something, you're, you're going to use it. It would like, be like a painter saying he's a, he doesn't paint. It's the same thing. Yes, I am definitely a smoker. Is this only to sell cannabis, or, or does it go for tobacco itself as well? Oh, you have to go much bigger than that. What I've learned through, through doing this for many years is there's so many different things that people smoke. that we all, It's not binary. It's not just tobacco and cannabis. There's so many other plants. You know, in, in Southeast Asia, they use my rolling papers to smoke tea. Tea. And there's many other herbs. Smoking, I want them to roll it in my paper. I, I, I don't understand. If they were in, in Europe doing it with something else, it was before you were born. So what were they doing it with? Oh, okay. So that the, well, you have to go back. The, the earliest document that we have of rolling in paper is from the Encyclopedia Britannica, which says that people began rolling with scraps of paper in Spain in the early 1500s. 
So back then it was it was uh, Columbus had come with tobacco from Cuba, landed in Spain. The king said that all tobacco had to go through Spain so it could be taxed. This is legend, by the way. So some of it I'm sure is incorrect. But then they set up a giant warehouse full of tobacco and they would start rolling cigars or um, having the ends of cigars that people would smoke would fall down on the ground because a cigar gets bad after you smoke it a little bit. And the beggars would pick up any types of scraps of tobacco and re-roll it in used newspaper, supposedly. And that's where the process of smoking, like rolling and smoking, began. And even then, Cindy, it was so precious, the tobacco, because it was coming over on wooden ships from Cuba that people began inhaling the smoke and holding it in so they could savor every puff even more. And as far as I know, that is the biggest piece of the history of rolling in paper. You don't mean that, like, a Napoleon was a hophead? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, but Napoleon's troops learned how to smoke when they were in Spain. This is the legend. And they brought the custom back with them to France. So it all spread from Spain. Back then, they were mostly smoking tobacco. However, even back then, I found things. They were smoking many other plants. Even the indigenous people of different areas smoked as well. Whether or not they smoked in paper, I'm not sure. Well, what would they have? What would have been wrapped in? Well, in some places it was wrapped in um, maize, like corn husk. That was that was very popular in South America among the Inca tribes, from what I've read. Listen, they called you. I know this is sort of a joke, but they called you the Willy Wonka of weed. I don't know what that means. What does it mean? <laughs> well, I'm extreme. I, I'm extremely inventive, and it's something that I really enjoy. Uh, making new products in order to make it easier for people to enjoy smoking or the art of rolling. And so maybe I've gone a little too far, Cindy, but I, I've probably created a couple thousand items and products and different things in order to make it easier for people. And I show them on social media a lot. And I show things like a device that makes it where you don't have to use your hands, a hands-free smoker with a built-in ashtray. So you can literally, it comes around your neck and you can smoke as you walk or talk without even having to use your hands. I create, I, right now I'm creating an umbrella with a handle that can hold a smoke so you can smoke in the rain. Like I, I create incredibly fun, exciting contraptions. And therefore I ended up with this, um, this nickname of the Willy Wonka of rolling papers, the Willy Wonka of weed, the Willy Wonka of smoking. And, yes, I even make flavored rolling papers, too. So it kind of all fits right in hand in hand. Boy, Thomas Alva <laughs> Edison, you don't seem to me. I mean, I don't quite. <laughs> so as the Prince of Pot, have you ever been arrested? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to live a life like this without, without having some setbacks along the way, Cindy, you know? Well, what happened? Where? What? When? How? What? Well, in the 1990s, I had um, what they were called head shops. They sold like different types of pipes and stuff. I had lots of tobacco too, but also they could be used with cannabis. And the daughter of the United States States Customs Service special agent in charge for the Northern District of Florida came into one of my shops and bought a bong. And um, the dad found out about it. He was quite upset. So they came in with the helmets on, boots, guns, everything, and raided and took away all my bongs and all this other stuff. And, yes, I, would, I got in a lot of trouble for that. Josh, I, I'm told and I know that every bit of weed that gets rolled everywhere is in your paper. Can they not <laughs> roll it in toilet paper? Can't they roll it in, in Kleenex? Can't they just roll it in anything? 
Okay, I wish it was true that everything was rolled in raw. I think the world would be a better place, but I'm sh- there's lots of other papers out there, and some of them are quite good. I believe mine is the best, but of course, they believe theirs is good too. Cindy, they can roll it in anything that will burn, supposedly, like as the original street beggars rolled it in used scraps of paper, probably newspaper, but it's not going to burn the way that they want it to burn. It's not going to give them the type of experience that they're seeking. It all goes back to when we would early men would sit around the campfire and tell stories and we would inhale the smoke from the campfire. This is what I'm told. Again, this is all legend. So inhaling smoke is actually kind of natural to us, supposedly. Inhaling it from a cigarette is not, of course. But there's there's a way to kind of bring it back to that natural state, closer to the way it really is meant to be. And that's what I do. So yes, they can choose to roll in almost anything. But if they want to have the best experience they can, I think they should roll it in my paper. And many, many, many people agree. Is this paper flavored? Can you get a vanilla one or a chocolate one? Now, my main paper, raw, is not flavored. However, I do also make other papers that are flavored for people that enjoy flavored papers. It's not as big of a thing, but I really try to make something for everyone. And if someone wants a strawberry-flavored paper, then I want to make them the best strawberry-flavored paper I possibly, possibly can and make them blow their minds with how good it actually can be. So, yes, I do make some flavored papers. They're not my mainstay, but it's something that people really enjoy. Listen, I enjoyed having dinner with you. You were charming. You were nice and everything. But I hate <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> I hate these stores, stores. I hate anybody smoking. I hate the smell that's going all over New York. I hate that you're killing little dogs who are eating the little butts on the floor. I have a friend of mine who was a, a reasonably well-known uh, anchor. And she had a little dog she smoked. And she put the little dog with herself into a tiny room, and she was smoking. She was okay. The damn dog fell over. What kind of a thing is this? I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now what we have to do is we have to adjust to our, our new reality. Yes, we just recently here in New York City, legalized, and New York, legalized recreational use of cannabis. However, there are not the kind of rules that need to be in place just to make, when I say us, I'm talking about me and all my friends who smoke and everyone who really smokes. We all have to be good members of society. So what does that mean? Well, what I believe is that we need places that we can smoke and not upset people like you. That's very important because if we're upsetting you, then next thing you know, there'll be laws to stop us from, from enjoying what we enjoy. So we need to be extremely respectful and have places where we can smoke that do not include places where it'll upset other people. Plus, when you're talking about the situation with dogs, this is something I've only very recently become aware of. And I don't know if you know this, but I am a tremendous animal lover. I foster dogs. I rescue dogs. We are a primary financial sponsor and helper of a, of a no-kill animal shelter in Phoenix, Arizona. So once I read about that, the first thing we did was we started doing research. Now, we donated um, $11,111.11 just to start to, to the local ASPCA here in order to make a first start. First of all, because you're number one. And secondly, it's also a great place to make a first start. I need to educate the public. This is something that I need to do about not flicking little joint, you know, we call them roaches, onto the street. That is something that has to stop right away. Well, it isn't going to stop. It isn't going to stop. And your story about... 
uh, that you didn't know this was going to happen. Of course it wasn't going to happen because it wasn't all over before. It is now yeah. all over, and the dogs are doing everything. And don't tell me about the ASPCA. I have been a member of the International Board of the ASPCA since before you were born, and I have a great love for animals, and I don't want your lousy business to be hurting my dogs. Exactly, which is why we have to do things in order to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. And what we will. What can you do? What can you do? Hit the dog? Can, what can you do? No, 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 no. I have millions of followers, and I'm going to take the, the steps of educating them as to this problem. They didn't know. Trust me, they don't know. They love animals just as much as you do. And once they learn that this could potentially hurt dogs, believe me, most of them, I truly believe, will stop and will also educate their friends as to why you can't do that anymore. None of us, re- like not none of us, most of us don't really know, Cindy. Like, I believe that smoking makes us more empathetic. And therefore, once I teach them about this, they should stop. Just like I would never flick a butt now. And now that I, like, no way, I'm not going to get a dog sick. And I don't think any of my friends and people really want to do that either. Your so friends are people like you. You yes. are not somebody I should be discussing this with, much as <laughs> I loved having dinner. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Okay. Cindy, if we are the problem, we are also the solution. I believe that. I know we can solve this. Does this also entice non-smokers, your paper? No. No, 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 no. My paper is really designed for like an upper level of smoker, someone who's already been smoking for a while and is particularly good at it. It's not, um, it's not the easiest paper to roll with at all. So it's really more for someone who truly enjoys what they do. I'm not the cheapest. I'm not the, um, I'm not the easiest. We are definitely more of a high-level thing. Why are you schlepping back to Spain? You said last night when we were having dinner that you were off to Spain. What's in Spain? Spain is um, where the factory is, and I'm go- where the raw factory is. And I'm going there to bring 10 what we call golden ticket winners to Spain to show them all of our secrets. Now, some of what we do has not been shown to the public ever before, and I've been very scared to do this. But I felt it was time to bring them all in and show them what we do. So I've got 10 people that were flying over on our dime. We're putting them up. We took over one little awesome little hotel. And we're all going to kind of stay together. And we're going to share our secrets. I'm going to show them all the little old factories throughout the region, some of the old mills. And make hopefully they can fall in love with the area and with rolling paper as much as I feel that way. And I, my scariest thing oh, is that's I'm, so I'm nice. Going, the Oscars are great. junk. What could be better? Okay, I tell you the truth. Okay, and if if this starts getting taxed, our city and our state and our country will tax everybody. Soon they'll tax their behinds from going to the men's room. They'll tax everything. Once this starts getting taxed and more expensive, won't smokers then go to black market cheapo stuff, which will harm them? It's, that's one of the issues with high taxes. High, on anything, high taxes drives a black market, whether it's alcohol, you name it. So that is, the taxes have to be reasonable enough to make sure that it doesn't, so that you don't cause a black market. If we started taxing tomatoes at 1,000%, there'd be a black market for tomatoes. There'd be people on the corner selling you tomatoes. There'd be a guy at the park saying, hey, you want a tomato? You have to keep taxes at a reasonable level in order not to cross the threshold that makes it really worth it for people to black market. That's what I believe. And it's not just about tobacco or cannabis or anything else. 
That goes across the board with everything. You have answers for everything. I hate this. <laughs> I hate what you're doing. I'm an, I hate it. But now I'll go on to the next question. Why do we need to narcotic ourselves? Why do we need to deaden ourselves? That's what you guys are doing. Well, you, you know, you could ask the same thing to anyone who drinks a sip of alcohol. It's, it's really that same thing. Why do we need to have coffee sometimes to spruce ourselves up? But with cannabis, it's different. Cannabis goes much further back into our DNA. And what I mean by that is we consumed cannabis before we had alcohol or before we had coffee or any of these kinds of things. It was a, it was a, it was a food source for us. So it's very natural for us to consume various cannabis products. When I say cannabis products, I mean just like hemp, CBD, all these kinds of things. And CBD especially has had extreme medical benefit, as far as I know, in order to help so many people, including many of my friends, that have suffered with things like, like uh, cancer. It brings back appetites. It reduces inflammation. As you remember, during our dinner, it helped me when I had my foot smashed in a motorcycle crash. It helped our friends. It's, um, it's really good for pain, and it's not a drug like Tylenol or Advil where it's having many other effects. You can put a, a localized CBD cream on a place where you have and it's had tremendous benefits and impacts for people. So I think many of us like it because it's more natural than than oh, going to yeah. big pharma. It's just wonderful. It's like aspirin. It's the same thing. I mean, listening to you, I'm getting sick, actually. I loved having dinner <laughs> with you, but I can't believe any of this BS that you're telling me. You're a nice-looking young guy. Why couldn't you be in an upstanding business like selling bananas or oranges or something? Why this? <laughs> I love this, Cindy. I really, truly do. I, I wish there was something else I loved as much as this. I've tried many other things, but in the end, it's really this particular industry, and I love rolling papers. So I'm quite reluctant to do anything else. If you don't have your heart in it, you're not going to enjoy life as much, you know? And this is something I really have my heart in. Well, what is your next step. What are you going to do next? You've got papers. You've got millions. I already know that. You've got a, a following. What are you going to do next, Josh? Uh, um, you know, Cindy, I'm really not sure. It's hard. When, when you really enjoy something you do, you don't want to move on and do something else. What I'd like to say is that I'm going to do more of the same and get even better at it. There's so many more papers I want to make because the market keeps changing and the way that people smoke and enjoy it is changing. So I want to make new things for them. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. There isn't really a what's next. It's really of I just want to keep doing this. I really like it. I love it, actually. Okay. So, so somebody no told me, of course, I'm losing, I'm losing my mind as I talk to you, but somebody once told me that you had a, a vegan car. That can't be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, I try I, to make all my cars vegan. <laughs> you know, how uh, now can you, what, you can, what, you're going to put cannabis in the, in the gas tank? What are you talking no, about? No, no, no. Okay, so the car, nowadays, it's easy to get a vegan car. All the new Teslas, as far as I know, the interior, they no longer use leather. They use, or cow leather. They use synthetic leathers because it's better for the environment and better for all of us. So we're, um, cars are becoming vegan. Like, I'm sure you've been in a Tesla. If you go into a Tesla, that's basically a yeah, vegan yeah, car yeah. now. Yeah. And it just years ago, I used to work with the, I'd be arguing with an auto manufacturer forever to get them to take out all the leather and put in something else. Not Once the leather's on there, you're already in trouble. It was to build it without any leather, to make sure the glues didn't come from animal products. I went through a whole thing with these guys to eventually get a vegan car. And now 
how Teslas are vegan, so it's easy. Cindy, I believe the future of the planet is vegan. I, for me to listen to you, to think how wonderful <laughs> you are helping the planet, I'm really going to kill myself. I tell you, <laughs> I've never heard anything like, I've really never heard anything like this. Okay, where are you going next? What is your next thing where you're helping the planet? Tell me. I do a lot of humanitarian work, um, most, mostly water wells in Ethiopia and different parts of Africa. I've had a lot of success there in terms of um, saving many lives and impacting many lives. At the moment, I'm trying to do things a little more localized to create an even bigger impact to uplift people. So my next thing that I'm doing is something where we're donating $100,000 towards – it's with the Justice Foundation – and this is going to be to give people who have an old cannabis conviction like me a chance to start an entrepreneurship. It'll probably be something like four people will get like a $25,000 um, grant each or something like that. And this is only for people that have been negatively impacted by cannabis laws to give them a chance to start an entrepreneurial business that will hopefully uplift them and to give back to the community. I oh, want to bring other so people touching. along, Cindy. You know? so, this is so <laughs> touching. You, you actually really have me in the heart. This is so wonderful to do this wonderful thing to help smokers and tokens and people who are drunk and falling down and throwing butts on the, on the street and killing dogs. It's just wonderful. Why do you call it raw? R-A-W. Raw, I named it raw because when I was growing up here in New York, there were many songs on the radio that would impart a feeling on you. And they would say, like in the Big Daddy Kane song called Raw, he would say how he was going to give it to you raw. And it was a feeling, an emotion. And once I envisioned the paper, which was about 1993, when I came up with the concept for it, I even knew back then what I wanted to name it because I wanted the paper to give people this natural, awesome feeling of what I was trying to give them. And I thought even then it was like, I'm going to call it raw. So it's really about that raw emotion, that raw feeling that the paper gives you. Are your parents proud of you? Yes, they actually are. <laughs> My dad was a smoker, so it's easy. I know, Cindy, but ah, I'm lucky. I came from a smoking family. <laughs> your mother smoked also? Um, I Yes, of course she did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I don't know what the hell to do with you. You. <laughs> Cindy, I, I, I just I, want you to know that my. I love talking to you. I love being on your show. You are amazing, and I apologize on behalf of of my people that we've caused you any angst whatsoever. And we're going to do our best to fix that. And that's all I we can do. I loved you in person. I hate what you're doing. <laughs> hate what you're doing. But I loved you. And when you come back from Spain, you can buy dinner again. Okay. Oh, that would be lovely. I'd love to do that. Thank you, sweetheart. Thanks a lot. Puff Thanks away. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. Bye, babe. Bye-bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. It's The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. There is a new delicious Broadway musical that has just opened. It's called Shucked. It's at the Nederlander Theater. It's fun. It's wholesome. There's no shooting. There's no filth. There's no nudity. There's no drugs, hate, or stabbings. It's about raising corn, and you mustn't miss it. In it, Alex Newell gets a standing ovation 
every time he opens his mouth. Trust me, go see the show. You'll love it. So, Alex Newell. He's in the delicious new play, Shucked. It's at the Nederlander Theater. He's going to walk away, run away, skip away with the Tony. I'm telling you. He is he is a fall-down, fabulous artist. Where were you born? Uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Well, Salem, Massachusetts, rather. But you don't have anything that sounds Massachusetts-y. I don't. Um, I had an acting mentor that said, you, for, to be an actor, you have to have, like, a blank slate. And um, both of my parents are from Alabama, so if anything, I have a southern dialect that comes out if I get tired. Where were you educated? Um, in Massachusetts, I didn't form, have any formal training um, in college. I actually applied to a lot of schools for a BFA and got rejection letters from a, a majority of them. How did you get rejection letters? Why? I don't know. Um, a, a lot of things, uh, uh, depending with like auditioning and not, you know, most BFA programs have like a template that they all follow. You have your ingenue, you have your leading man, you have your comedic actress, your comedic actor, your dancer, your strong singer. And I guess I just didn't fit into one of those categories. And so I didn't get in. Oh, sweetheart, you don't fit into any category. I mean, <laughs> you are by yourself. We'll get into that. Now, tell me about show business. How did you begin? I I really got my biggest break on a TV show called The Glee Project, and then an even bigger break after that on the TV show Glee. How'd you get it? Um, I auditioned online years and years and years and years ago, and they turned this online submission into a reality show that I lost. I lost that reality show, and the consolation prize that I got was two episodes on Glee. <laughs> but Alex, you are so different. You don't belong <laughs> in any category whatsoever. How was this yeah. they could turn you down for anything? <laughs> well, thank you. I, you know, sometimes it takes a lot for people to get on board to a lot of things sometimes. Well, how did this role in Shut come to you? And then we will discuss the role. How did you, how did you get it? Um, I truly was sitting on my couch eating some chips, and the MD texted me and said, do you want to do this Broadway show that I'm working on, or do you have any interest in being on Broadway in the spring? And I was just like, sure, send it over. I would love to read it. I'm not doing anything. I'm not played to do anything for a while, just resting. And I walked in, and I sang the song and for Jack, the director, and Robert, the writer, and Shane and Brandy, the composers, and it was history after that. You mean to say this song that gets a standing ovation in the middle of Act One, I was there opening night, and the whole bloody audience stood up and gave you a standing ovation. You mean that song you sang cold? Yeah. <laughs> well, back then they just it was uh it was it wasn't that big of a song. It was a a more subdued version of the song. And so what they had then the original version of it was um I'm not going to say la less showstoppy, but it wasn't as flashy as it used to be. Oh my now. god, is it flashy? You stopped the show <laughs> cold. The question now is and you have a high class answer and I know cuz I've been with you. Are you a boy? Are you a girl? Are you a they? What the hell are you? You know, I uh, 
transcend all of that. I've never truly ever subscribed to it. Um, and it was kind of hard starting that way because when I started all those years ago, not, not even that many years ago, 13 years ago with Glee, there was no terminology. There was no um, vocabulary or vernacular for non-binary or genderqueer or gender non-conforming all the way back then. And I truly had to figure it out on my own and be true and steadfast in my own self to figure it out and be comfortable with not wanting to fit into any box or label about it. I don't know how you get away with that because only you can do it. I don't know that. Do you date? Is it guys you date or women you date or what? I mean, what do you I, date? I'm, I've always been particular to a male. Honey, I love a man. I love yeah, me a too, man, a tall man. <laughs> <laughs> me too, but I'm not on Broadway. I, I yeah. understand. What is your lifestyle? You go home and what do you do? Do you live alone? Do you go out for, to alone. a bar? And, what do you do? I Sometimes I go to a bar. You can find me at my favorite bar, Glasshouse Tavern, all the time. Um, and I just like to decompress. I love to see my friends. And if I'm not, if I'm like, if I'm a little under in the voice, I go home. I sit, I watch some trashy reality television shows. I like to turn my mind off and just like vegetate in a way and just kind of rest. I, I'm a whole proponent of rest. So in your other plays or your other productions, have you played a female or a male? What do you play? In this um, one, you play... A, a lady, and you break the house down. It's incredible. We stand and give you an ovation. What do you, what are you in other shows? Uh, you know, most of my roles either are made after me, and they form them around me, and there'll be non-binary or gender non-conforming. Um, or the last one, when I was in Once the Silent, I played, uh, her name was Asaka, and she was the goddess of the earth. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. What can I do with that? I don't know what the hell to do with that. <laughs> do you? Did you? Did anything ever happen to you? Do you ever lose your drawers on stage? I was on stage when I was a kid. I lost my slip, and I thought I'd die of. Uh, I was so embarrassed. Did you ever freeze on stage? I've never frozen on stage. I, I, I. You know, as actors, we call it the white room where you forget everything in one moment. <laughs> And you have to grapple at everything. But I've never, I sometimes, there was one time I was in Once Miss Island um, that I had this gorgeous um, uh, ball gown skirt that was made out of tablecloth, like a plastic oil tablecloth. And <laughs> I started my number and I remember doing the blocking and walking down the stairs and there was this massive telegram pole that was there and it got hooked onto the skirt and all I remember was getting stuck and ripping the skirt <laughs> from the hem all the way to the waist. What, what did you do? What did you do? I just remember I, I, I never stopped singing. I like shimmied out of the skirt <laughs> and I had, thank goodness I had leggings on under it. And the last time I saw that skirt, it was going off stage with another cast member. Alec, you're terrific. Did you ever freeze, freeze on stage? Did you ever lose your your ad? Did you ever ad lib? I, I there was a time that I lost. I was singing independently on when we did our out of town in Salt Lake, and I I just lost every lyric. Every lyric of the song was just out of my brain in one good moment, and I'm like I like panic, and I turned around and I look at. Um, 
one of my cast members and they just start singing. And I was like, oh, praise God, somebody knows it because I don't right now. What about jealousy? I mean, you run away with the show. You absolutely run away with the show. And you're the thing we all talk about. We know you're going to get the Tony. So what about jealousy backstage? I, we don't have any. We're, And it's strange because I've worked on many things where jealousy is like the root of it all. And like that is the driving force about a lot of product, the production. And this one, we're, we're such a tight-knit family because we depend so much on each other. Like, yeah. that's the end-all, be-all. We just, like, comedy is really hard. It is so hard. And, like, if a line isn't served to you correctly, the joke doesn't land sometimes. So I think we all have to trust each other in that sense. And we all just genuinely like each other, which I can tell you never actually happens. Yeah, I know that. I know that. Okay, this show just opened. It's going to be a hit. It is a hit. People want to get in and see it. You are going to win the Tony, even though I shouldn't be saying that, but that's the <laughs> truth. So what are you going to do next? Because now you're hot as hell. So what are you going to do next? Uh, you know, I'm working on making a grand return back to TV. I would love to be back there for a little bit. And my my dream role is still Effie and Dreamgirls. So I'm always gunning for that and then manifesting and always screaming to the rooftop that I want to play Effie and Dreamgirls. What about the wardrobe? Mine? Well, uh, Effie, yeah. yeah. Do they make something special for you? No. I'm, I'm always just, they strap me in a corset and pat me on the behind and say, go get him, kid. Do you wear a wig because you had long hair when I saw you in person? Oh, I always have long hair. I love my long hair. And you also have a large, gorgeous figure, honey. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, really. What happened when you first did the song? Don't tell me this song was a was a winner when you first did it. I wouldn't imagine no. it would be a winner. It, it it wasn't. It when I say it wasn't flashy at the beginning, it wasn't flashy. It was one of those good storyteller songs. Like it told us who this character was. It told us who this person was, and what this what she needed out of life and. You know, in Salt Lake, when we did it out of town, like there was a great response to it, but it wasn't ending in a big, flashy way. And that was like the biggest takeaway about that. And so when we came back to New York, me and the orchestrator and music director, Jason Howland, we sat there for a couple minutes and a couple days and just tried to figure out how to make it even more flashy, how to make it bigger, how to make it better, because we would sit there in Salt Lake and people would want to stand up, but we didn't give them that opportunity to stand up. And so when we came to New York, we said we have to give the people the, the chance to clap and do what they want to do naturally. Well, so what was your creation? I understand that. I understand. <laughs> okay. Do you date and what do you date? Um, you know, I date. Um, I date a lot. <laughs> Dating in New York City is always awful. But um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm always constantly on a date, um, and I always have a prerequisite that you have to be taller than me because I love my high heels. Oh, for God's sakes, you're still wearing high <laughs> heels. Oh, for Pete's yes. Oh, I'm going to – listen, I think you're absolutely wonderful. I adored you. I have never seen an opening night audience rise to their feet the way they did. You were terrific. Drop dead great. That's what you are, Alex. Thank and I'm your you. friend, thank and you. I'm your fan, you. and I love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Thanks, sweetheart. Thanks for coming on, darling. I loved you. No worries. Anytime.
Okay, hon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, I'm back. You can't get rid of me. I'm back. I got another few minutes. I want to tell you about, ah, you all know the name, Yogi Berra. He was born 1925, St. Louis. He led the Yanks to 10 championships, multiple MVPs, Hall of Famer, one of baseball's great catchers. He left us at age 90 and is now in the new dock. It ain't over. Yogi is gone, but he ain't over. Billy Crystal, who loved him and is in Tom Bernard and Michael Barker's Sony Pictures classic film about him, told me, listen, we met in 1978. This is Billy Crystal talking to me. He says, although Yogi was known for malapropisms like I might fade into Bolivia instead of oblivion, Yogi was a good businessman. He had interests. He had a bowling alley. He was a great player, but what people don't realize is he was also a terrific family man. He was married to his wife, Carmen, 60 years. They held hands. She loved him, and he loved her. And he was a great friend, unassuming, charming, genuine, sweetest man I ever met. My birthday, he said, he'd call me and say, Billy, hope you're not working too hard. Opening night of my Broadway show, which was then called Seven Sundays, he came to my tavern on the green party to say he's worried about my working too hard. And is Billy Crystal working too hard now? Well, he said to me was, listen, I have to wait on the writer's strike before I talk about a new series we have in development. As for Broadway, I'm just glad I don't have to look out to see just masks anymore. It was like talking to a whole audience that's ill. They were all wearing masks. Honey, I love New York. I was born here in Doctor's Hospital, which then was across from Gracie Mansion and is now a condo. I'm in good shape. I exercise. I do lots of stuff. Light weights. Cardio for 45 minutes. Tennis. I'm married 53 years and want another 53. And as we left, he said, you got to keep going. Even when on Broadway, if you screw up a line, you keep going. I remember in a song, I just ended up humming, la, 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 when I sang lyrics I wasn't supposed to sing. I got scared when I came off stage. But listen, it was just another night in New York. I happen to have, somebody gave it to me, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's March 6, 1941, Pocket Bible. The first page is labeled, quote, The White House, Washington. It says, quote, As commander-in-chief, I recommend reading this Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States of America. Many have found in the sacred book words of wisdom 
counsel, and inspiration. It is a fountain of strength, as always an aid in attaining the highest aspirations of the human soul. Listen, I'm trying to be flexible. I am winding up with the Bible. I started with junk and hemp and smoking cannabis. I really don't know what I'm supposed to be doing on this program. But I have to tell you that there was this one lady who was especially happy a couple of weeks ago when it was Mother's Day. She said, and I knew her, she said, I have finally cured my husband of biting his nails. I said, after all these years, what did you do? Tell me who, how. And the lady said, very simple, I hid his teeth. Listen, kids, I'm going to hide mine, and you're going to have to wait to talk to me and listen to me again until next Sunday at 1 o'clock. But I love you and thank you for listening. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. 